The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. This is the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. And yeah, welcome to it. It is uh, six minutes after seven o'clock and a uh, charming Monday. Good weather today. I'm betting you're not out listening to us as you ride your bike. You're probably uh, hungered down at home trying to stay warm and dry. Good time to have the radio on and come up with those uh, employment law questions, which may have been uh, haunting you for some time. If it's for you or a a family member, a colleague, a pal at work, no problem. Grab a phone and ask. That is the best way to do it. Partner Stan Feinzelberg is on the show again tonight. Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP is the firm, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in this wonderful land of ours. So you can uh, you can check that out anytime you like to reach out to Stan anytime, 1-855-821-5900, help at employmentlawyer.ca. By the way, we are going to uh, whittle our way through the inbox tonight. Got a ton, um, a ton of emails, Stan. Every week you guys do hundreds, and I mean that literally. That's not hyperbole because of all the things going on. As this pandemic winds its way through and hopefully winding down, there's still tons of uh, employment grief out there. People losing their jobs, being told they have to vaccinate, not sure if it's mandatory. Will they lose their job? Will they get severance? Can they uh, Can they fight it? All these questions and more. I know you get all the time. So in that regard, you can call right now, 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400 to call through, ask Stan your questions. Don't sit there puzzled. Get some answers and reach out for sure. But uh, that's how it's going to happen tonight. Again, a lot of emails coming through, so we'll get to those. But Stan, you always start, my brother, with the uh, the week that was. What's going on in your end? Absolutely, John. Good to hear from you. Uh, and welcome to all our listeners at- so I want to start off the week that was, as we usually do, with uh, something I think that's really important going on in, in relation to all these various government programs that have been set up during the COVID pandemic. Um, many of our listeners may not realize necessarily, but as of this Saturday, some of the most important of those programs have officially been wound down. And what I'm specifically talking about, John, is the Canadian Recovery Bender, or the CRB. Uh, that has officially been wound down as of Saturday. It was a supplementary program that was provided you know, for people who couldn't either qualify for EI or for people who just didn't fall under the criteria of EI, like contractors, independent or, de- inter- uh, or independent contractors. Yeah. And this created that safety net for those people kind of who you know, got left behind by the EI program, which we all kind of realized was a big problem when the pandemic happened. So this program, unfortunately, is no longer around. In its place, the government has provided a, a new program called the Canadian Worker Lockdown Benefit. Uh, however, this program only applies if you are impacted by a government-imposed lockdown. And if you are in that situation, you can receive $300 a week up until about uh, early May. As well as uh, the CRB being wound down, another program, the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy, the program that the government had instituted uh, to allow people to stay on the payroll effectively, uh, which if a company qualified based on a loss of revenue, an individual could get up to 75% of their wages covered by the government, up to a certain maximum, of course. But that would, uh, the idea with that program was that 
instead of, you know, essentially laying all these people off and then having to deal with this problem that, you know, we all kind of see happening right now, these labor shortages and getting people back to work, mm -hmm. this program actually allowed people to stay on the, the payroll, not necessarily having to work, but having their wages covered. Uh, on top of this, the government has brought in some new programs to target some very specific industries. Uh, one that the government's recently created is the Tourism and Hospitality Recovery Program. As you can tell by the sound of the program, yeah. it's being addressed to the tourism and hospitality industries. And if a particular business in that industry can show its 40% drop in revenue right. from this time, you know, last month or two, uh, two years ago, sorry, then they can qualify for a subsidy of up to 75% of an employee's wages until mid-March. Again, this is a program that's being phased in just as the wage subsidy is being phased out as kind of a replacement program. And uh, kind of and in line with the tourism and hospitality recovery program, the government has brought in the hardest hit business recovery program. Basically, this program covers every other business that's not covered under the tourism and hospitality program. And just like the tourism and hospitality program, if you can show a weight revenue drop this time of 50%, then you can have your employees wages subsidized by 50% of their wages until mid March. Uh, a couple of other programs that are actually being extended as well is the Canadian Recovery Hiring Program. This one was put in place more recently than the previous ones. Uh, and this one was brought in place by the government to get people back to work effectively. And it was, it was to essentially provide businesses that can show, again, a revenue drop, some, some subsidies to help them incentivize employees to come back. Uh, it's been extended until November 20th now. And okay. the Canadian Recovery Sickness Benefit and the Canadian Recovery Caregiver Program have also been extended until November 20th. The Sickness Benefit Program in particular, and this one, for whatever reason, people do not seem to be that aware of, but if you are in all affected by COVID, if you have symptoms, if you've been ordered to quarantine, if you, you know, if you've been, if you actually have COVID, uh, you qualify for up to four weeks of sick benefits under, through EI. And similar to that, the Canadian Recovery Caregiver Benefit Program is there in place for people who have other people in their lives who've been affected by COVID and provides for up to 42 or 44 weeks of mm. coverage, which has been extended until November 20th. And just to leave this segment on a high note, John, you know, in yeah. doing research for this segment, I came across a very interesting government statistic that maybe uh, those who don't follow the job numbers may have missed last month. But we are now, as a country, 100% recovered all of the jobs that we have lost yeah. during the pandemic. And, you know, to contrast this, John, in the United States, they're only at 78%. So regardless of what we think of the government programs, they seem to have certainly helped us bring the jobs back and gotten us to recover faster, at least than our neighbors to the south. There you go. A lot of information off the top. Uh, your phone call is 416-870-6400. Always our top priority. We'll move that way uh, first in that regard. Kenny, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging on. How are you? Uh, not bad, thanks. Beauty, what's on your mind? Well, I'm just thinking as a voting liberal, what I'm hearing here is I have to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, Be we nice. do have a conservative government in this province, so... <laughs> Like, that's yeah, it. I don't you know. got a question? Change my vote. Okay. No, that's it. That that was all I had to say for tonight.
All right, Kenny, appreciate that. I was hoping for a question in there somewhere, Fair but I comment. guess not. Just a, just, just a comment, right? <laughs> uh, as mentioned, 416-870-6400 is the, uh, the number to call in, just like Kenny, preferably with a question. And preferably about something in the employment realm would be even more uh, – more uh, topical for sure. But I want to move on to our first email here just quickly before we get to a, a break in a few minutes. Michael is up next, says, Hey, Stan, my uh, company found out I have a second job and is upset because they think I'm not devoting myself to the company. My second job is completely unrelated to my job with the company, and I don't think it interferes with my work in any way. Can they terminate me for cause for having a second job? Well, Michael, I mean... Generally speaking, what I would say is that they absolutely cannot terminate you for cause for having a second job. The only way in which they would be able to do that is if you had a contract that contained what we call an exclusivity clause, you know, basically a clause that says you agree to devote all your time and attention to this company and in and agree not to work for any other company unless you, most of these clauses will say something along the lines of, you know, unless you have our written permission. Outside of that context, unless you have an explicit agreement to something like that clause, there are no, there are basically no restrictions on you working for another company. Now, of course, you know, if it's direct conflict of interest, it can create issues, you know, if you're, especially if you're a fiduciary for the company that you work for initially. Right. Uh, but outside of that context, if they're unrelated, I mean, you, people can have two jobs if they want. They can have three, they can have four. Yeah, I guess it's different if it's a similar type job where they might fear you pulling clients from one job to the other. But mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't sound like anything that uh, that Michael's talking about. He says it's totally unrelated. So you know, guy's got to make a living. He's got he's got he's got bread to pay for, man. So I guess it's not a big deal in that regard. Uh, yeah. Zoya, right? Zoya is up next. Says uh, guys have been working as a contractor for the last four and a half years for one employer. After listening to your show, I realized that I'm really an employee at law. Am I entitled to a vacation, statutory holiday pay for the years I was mischaracterized as a contractor? So if, if, if a court or the ministry ordered that you were an employee, then you were absolutely entitled to vacation pay and statutory holiday pay. The question more becomes, how far back can you go? Right. Because our general statute of limitations legislation in Ontario only allows you to start an action two years after A, the cause of action happened, or B, you discovered the cause of action. And that's likely what's going to be the operative section here, that if you really can show that, no, I didn't know until I spoke to, you know, Stan and Sanfir to Mark and LLP, who told me, hey, you're actually an employee, uh, that I was an employee, and you could show that to the court. Well, that's when you discovered your cause of action as it relates specifically to the vacation statutory holiday pay. And then you can go back the full four and a half years, very likely. That's interesting because the four and a half years, I think, is interesting, Stan, because in so many mm-hmm. arenas of, of both, yeah, I guess, employment law, disability law, which we do, you guys cover that as well. That two-year mm-hmm. mark seems to be uh, seems to be a bit of a uh, a bit of a buoy. Two years seems to be the the number that most things expire on or things change at. Is that right? Yeah, uh, you know, it's an interesting, I don't know what the rhyme or reason is for that. Yeah. Right? Certainly, if we talk about the disability context, the definition of what, you know, what's required to keep uh, on long-term disability changes after two years. Yeah. Again, I mean, they may just be following the statute, but I will say that the, the you know, the issue of um, limitations, it's very malleable. I mean, nobody, judges and courts don't want to just limit people's ability. And if there is, and that's why this discoverability component becomes so important. 
you know, if you can give a court a reason to think, hey, you know, they probably didn't know and only discovered it after the fact, then that can give you enough, you know, the, the grounds you need to move forward with an action, even if it's beyond the two years. Yeah. Now, that, that won't necessarily now, John, that doesn't save you from not knowing if it's, a, you know, related to negligence. If sure. you could have known if the answer was obvious, like, let's say in a scenario where I got fired, and obviously that's the cause of action. That's when my wrongful dismissal happens. Anyone reasonably should know that. Even if you don't know that, the court will likely say you should have, and therefore the two-year limitation will run from that period onwards. In that regard, we'll take a little break here and get right back to it. Uh, Got to give you some time to grab a phone and call us and ask your questions. Stan is here for the duration, 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400, help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue. Lots more coming up. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. That is good advice. Call now, 416-870-6400. You have questions about your employment rights. Of course, this is the show for you. Monday nights, Wednesday night, weekend shows as well. You've been terminated or laid off or wrongfully dismissed, harassed at work, all that stuff. Experience changes to your job. Call now and get some answers. Uh, Stan Fainselberg here, partner. Stan Firu Tamarkin LLP is here to help. Employmentlawyer.ca is the website. By the way, you want to slide over there and uh, hit the media tab. Follow our TV show as well. It's pretty cool. And if you've, uh, you know, you need some advice or get the compensation you deserve, they are the guys you want to call. And that number, anytime, one 821 5900 But we always get to our phone calls first. AJ, thanks for hanging on through the break. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How hey, are you? Sure. What's up? I'm excellent. What's uh, what's on your mind, brother? I've experienced ableism in the workplace from many years, and I just want to know my rights. As sure, AJ. With a disability, how I can handle ableism. In the workplace. Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that you're experiencing that, AJ. I mean, that's absolutely unfair and both unfair and illegal. Um, So there's a couple ways you can handle this. Firstly, ableism is discrimination uh, based on a medical disability. And so if you're experiencing ableism and they're still continuing to discriminate against you despite you speaking to the owner, speaking to the people, they won't change their conduct for whatever reason. Right. That That is absolutely a human rights violation, and you can go to the Human Rights Tribunal and file a human rights discrimination complaint with the tribunal. Uh, what you can also do, do is speak to the Ministry of Labor, because the Ministry of Labor, under the Occupational Health and Safety Act, or administers the Occupational Health and Safety Act, and one of the provisions of that act is that your employer is required to ensure that you have a harassment-free and toxic-free workplace, and the ministry can actually come in and do an investigation 
and uh, has a whole host of remedies that it can use if it finds that indeed this is a har harassment has occurred and it is a toxic workplace. The other thing you can also do here, AJ, is if it's if there's really just no alternative and you, you've decided that you can't stay in this workplace and you're leaving regardless, well, toxic, a toxic environment is one of the branches that of a constructive dismissal. And so if, if you've decided that you just can't work here anymore and you're leaving and you know you want your severance because this is unfair, well, that's what a constructive dismissal is for. You can talk to us about pursuing that as well. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, AJ. Appreciate your call and your uh, your time tonight. I think it even that number one more time. You'll probably want to reach out after the show and talk to uh, talk to Stan one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Elliot, thanks for hanging on. Good evening. Good morning. <laughs> that too. What's up? What's your question? Uh, well, um, uh, it's been about a year since I basically quit from my old job due to a uh, toxic workplace environment. And mm -hmm. I found out from uh, the guy who was, I, I was supposed to basically inherit the company. And my old boss brought in someone else on top of me and told them, do whatever you can to fire this guy or to get him to quit. Okay. And How now, did you find that? Now he's been fired too, so he called <laughs> me up and told me all this information. Oh wow! Um, well, that's that's an interesting scenario. I mean, well, luckily you're well within that two-year statute of limitations to proceed here. And if you have a witness who's going to testify that you know the owner said, "Hey, make sure you get rid of this guy and force him out," I mean, that's about as strong of evidence of a constructive dismissal as I think you're capable of getting here. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, you should probably contact me during the week, uh, during the work hours at my office, and we can discuss this and see how we proceed from there. All righty, yeah, because he's also, he's also looking to pursue him legally as well. Yeah, why don't you reach out to uh, either someone at my office, or you can reach out to me directly at stan.fanselberg at stan.fanselberg.ca. Or sdlawyers.ca, and I'd be happy to talk to you directly. Or you know, you can reach into, uh, to our intake team. Say you've spoken to Stan, and they'll connect you to me as well. Alrighty. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it, Elliot. And uh, moving forward again, I'm going to keep giving that number until everybody's used to it. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. But here and now, four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Hello, Roseanne. Thanks for hanging on. Good evening. Yes. Hi. Good evening. Uh, yes, I'm calling to find out. Um, I was terminated uh, from my job as a manager two weeks ago, and uh, they listed on the letter that um, it's because I'm refusing to be vaccinated by a certain date, which was October the 12th. Um, can I be legally terminated with cause from my job, even though my contract, um, well, it's a full-time uh, permanent position, but my original contract with them does not this does not require the vaccine as part of you know being employed. Mm -hmm. um, no, of course. I mean, if, yeah, this, this not, is all a novel situation that's been created by the pandemic, and you know yeah. I, I do see a lot of overreaction by employers and employees, frankly, and a lot of line drawing. And this is what a lot of employers have unfortunately decided to do. They've said it's a mandatory vaccination or you lose your job. Mm -hmm. From my perspective, in most scenarios, I will say that I do not believe that 
either uh, that imposing a mandatory vaccination policy and then firing someone based on that policy can constitute cause to terminate your employment. Uh, they've instituted a brand new policy, as you say, it was not part of your original contract. It was not That's required right. for you to work there. Uh, mm -hmm. Presumably, you've been working there throughout the pandemic without issue. So exactly. it doesn't really show that there's an absolute necessity for this. And yes. frankly, the governments, you know, you know, while all these employers are putting in these mandatory vaccination policies and arguing the sky is falling and that's why we need it, that this is just such a novel situation. Well, today we had all capacity limits lifted for many of our retail locations, you know, and there's a number of steps that are going to continue happening, easing us out of the pandemic, which again, just goes to contrast all of the, the rationale for these policies to begin with. That is why I, you know, my firm does not believe they can constitute cause. And Roseanne, if you have been terminated on this basis, you should absolutely contact us at the office and we can discuss pursuing legal action against your employer. Okay, great. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, Roseanne. I'm going to give you that number, 1-855-821-5900. You have the email option as well. That would be help at employmentlawyer.ca. Going to keep going here. More phone calls, 416-870-6400. And Eduardo, thank you for hanging on. Good evening. You're next. Good evening. Thank you for taking my call. I've you called bet. What's a few up? times during this crazy mm -hmm. times, and yeah. I thought I would have been back to work by now. I work at a mm -hmm. casino. They haven't opened up to what they were allowed to, and now that it's fully open, they're still not calling back every, everybody and opening up. I'm just wondering, have I forfeited any rights because I didn't act when they didn't call me back right away? They've called back about 20% of their staff. Well, you haven't forfeited your rights in terms of your job. You know, if you're, if you're waiting to be called back, then you absolutely can choose to do that. Yeah. At the end of the day, if they don't call you back, that's a termination. There's really no other way to get around that from, from their perspective. Uh, what, might have, what might be an issue is if you tried to claim constructive dismissal at this point, because it has been you know, a good year and a half since, since you were probably laid off. Um, obviously, you know, there are the, money, the facts and specific to your situation are very important because casinos have only recently been allowed to reopen. And so that could allow you to say, well, I was, I didn't acquiesce to anything. They were not open. Now they're open. They're not calling me back. Now I'm taking the position of constructive dismissal. Uh, ultimately, you know, is, as long as you're, if you're willing to stay on and be recalled, you know, at the end of the day, they either have to recall you or they have to terminate you. If you want to take action before that, you can absolutely contact us in our office. Speak to a lawyer. They'll they'll get the facts particular to your situation and let you know what your case looks like. And at what point mm -hmm. do I have to wait before I consider myself fired? Can they just keep me on leave for forever and never pay me severance? No, absolutely not. Uh, so the infectious disease um, emergency disease leave regulations, which are the regulations that are currently in place that allow them to put you on this leave of absence. They are scheduled to expire as of early January. Now, this isn't the first time they've been scheduled to expire. It's probably the fourth, I think, at this point. So there's always a chance it could be extended. But presumably, presuming they're not extended, and all indications seem to be that will be the case, that they won't be extended this time, considering the numbers we have uh, in this province, then at, the legislation actually says they have to call you back as soon as it expires. So by early January, if they haven't called you back, you absolutely can take action at that point. 
is there a time frame where I lose my rights, meaning I can wait and wait for them to call me back, and then after two years they consider me gone and no severance, or do they will always have to pay me a severance if they don't call me back? As I said earlier in the segment, it's not. It's more a question of a statute of limitations because there's a two-year limitation on any action in Ontario from either when the action happened or when you discovered it that you had a cause of action. Okay, so in your situation, it it could be a question when when somebody's laid off and they're you know kind of in this limbo. It's usually the second component that becomes operative because you know you don't discover that you're gone until you realize, hey, this really is it that they're really not calling me back. I wouldn't be overly concerned about the, co- the, the statute of limitations right now. The law has been a significant flux. Um, the limitations period was actually suspended for six months last year because our court system wasn't functioning properly. You have, you've got time, which you really needed, I think, is more to make a decision and some closure. Yeah, because I, I want my job back. I don't think they're in any due time going to call me back. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I mean, of course, you're allowed to wait. As I say, you can wait until January. But I would say at that point, if the regulations are expiring and you, they still haven't called you back, that's probably you know the right time to take action If you, if, as long as you don't want to do it now. Eduardo, appreciate the call. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Want to move on again? 416-870-6400 is the number. Danny, thank you for hanging on. How are you? Yeah, yeah I'm well, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. But uh All right. you know, thank, thank good for for talk radio. Uh you got I, that right. I'm, I'm a self-employed long haul trucker, 70 years old. I'm on old age security and and Canada pension. And I took the COVID money from the government, not knowing anything about it, figuring that they were just giving it away. And I wasn't working because of the virus thing. I can't go across the border or something. And uh, they they have taken, the government has deducted from my old age pension now, $650 a month. They've almost taken half of my money. They left me with $700 a month for old age pension plus 200 bucks for Canada pension. And mm-hmm. they figure I can live on this, but they took it all in one lump sum for a year. Off of every month, every month I've lost uh, the past two months. I've, I've gotten $700 a month. And so I'm Danny, what, what is the rationale the government's giving you for, uh, for reducing your pension? Is it, it because it's fact, saying that you didn't qualify for the COVID money that you ended up taking? I have no idea what they were saying. What they're saying that uh, I uh, the, I was getting the GIS. Is that it? Yeah, the guaranteed. Yeah. Okay, I was getting the GIS, and since I took that money, I didn't need the GIS, so they took the GIS away. Okay. okay. Yeah. So what what the government has been doing? I, I don't know if this applies to you particularly, Danny. But if you were if you were in receipt of money from one of these various government programs during COVID, that maybe you did not qualify for because, as I understand, you're self-employed. You may not have been able to show that you had the necessary revenue loss. And that doesn't mean you didn't have the revenue loss. There could be other reasons for that, like maybe you haven't done your taxes recently. So there 
you may need to talk to an accountant about what specifically the government is doing here, because I suspect it has something to do with the fact that you didn't qualify for the COVID money that you ended up taking. And that's why they're garnishing your stipend, other stipends to basically recoup the money from you. But, but, but how, uh, okay, that's great. But how can they figure this? That's cool to take half of my old age pension, half for, for a year. Well, you can appeal these decisions, just so you're aware. There is a uh, branch of government called the Social Security Tribunal that deals with, uh, amongst other things, EI appeals and old age pension CPP appeals. Right. So you can appeal that decision. It, it, just because the government's doing it doesn't mean that it's legal. doesn't mean it's okay. That's why we have independent you know, court systems to adjudicate that. Yeah. Well, I, I know I know a young guy, a, a friend, a friend of my, uh, a buddy's friend, his son. He mm-hmm. took, he got the COVID money, and the government he got a big chunk of change, and the government is taking thirty dollars a month off of his money, his his, his disability. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, it's really hard to say specifically why it's happening to you without understanding the, the government's rationale. You know, I, again, I, I have to think that it's probably related to you not qualifying for the COVID money you took. And again, there may be ways to uh, to basically remedy this. It could be as simple as you just need to file certain tax documents to show that you qualified based on a loss of revenue as a self-employed person. Danny, going to let you go. Appreciate the call. Just going to line up a couple more here as we as we go on through the evening. 416-870-6400 is the way to uh, ask your questions here for the remainder of this show. We're back, of course, Wednesday night and the weekend shows as well. Lisa, quick email uh, coming after Bill. I want to get to Bill's call first. So stand by. Lisa, your email is, is coming up. Bill, how are you? What's going on? Hey, well, hey what's going on, guys? Just uh, I got a bu- Got a buddy of mine who has, uh, he got offered a promotion and a raise and everything. And obviously they want him to sign a new employment agreement. And having seen that employment agreement, it looks very more, like very, very less ambiguous than the, the uh, previous one, which mm-hmm. simply makes mention of uh, the minimums under the Employment uh, Standards Act. So basically, like, I understand that he isn't able to take advantage of the new perks and title and salary unless he signs the new agreement. But at that point, isn't he kind of handicapping himself forever at that particular job? He's kind of limiting his growth at that spot. Is there anything else that can be done about that? I'm just curious. Well, I wouldn't say, I mean, I'm not sure you mean by limiting his growth. He might limit his you know, entitlements upon termination. And that's a trade-off you may have to consider, you know, if he wants to make it. If the new job is good enough, and may be a trade-off that's worthwhile. Um, I would also just say that, you know, if you're looking, if you're, what it sounds like to me is you're talking about a termination clause and you're saying the clause in the new contract is, prob- is better than the one in the old contract because it's a lot more specific and it has a lot more detail. And one thing I would say to you is that actually I find that clauses that are more detailed, that have more you know words in them, frankly, uh, tend to be the ones that have the the greater problems. Uh, you know, every word in there is going to be read with specificity by a judge. You know, every word, mm-hmm. when, when we interpret these contracts, we assume that every word means something. And oftentimes you get in trouble when you make a clause too wordy because it starts to contradict itself. It starts to become ambiguous. There could be hypothetical scenarios 
that would you know basically contradict it or allow it to violate the ESA. Honestly, from my perspective, the best clauses are the ones that are very simple. Hmm. Even what saying is something as simple as you know, upon termination, you'll be entitled to all of your entitlements under the statute, under the Employment Standards Act, and nothing further. You know, that's a good clause, despite the fact that what it's one sentence. Okay. So the best thing you can honestly do uh, is just have them contact us and we can review both contracts and give him a really, you know, a proper perspective on what he's agreeing to in this contract so that he can, you know, go in for why that is open. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I want to know. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate it. And uh, reaching out to Stan, uh, if you want to have a further conversation, more clarity as well, always a good thing, right? one 821 5900 Still got a couple minutes to go. 416-870-6400. But Lisa's email, let's get to this one. Short and sweet says, hey, Stan, if I am a salaried employee, am I entitled to overtime? Yeah, I think this is the question we call that I've certainly heard from emails and, cl- and clients most often on this show, John, which is this question is, do you get overtime if you're a salaried employee? And the answer is you absolutely do. Um, now, there are certain exceptions for very specific categories of people who don't get overtime. Um, but unless you fall in one of these very specific categories, it doesn't matter how they pay you. It doesn't matter if you're you know, salaried, if you're hourly, uh, if you're biweekly, monthly, you know, commissioned. It doesn't matter because you're still entitled to Time and a half after forty-four hours a week. And let's see if we get to uh, to one or two more with our last few minutes. Uh, Hanson, Hanson is up next. Says, guys, are there any exceptions for employees to getting overtime after forty-four hours a week? You know, per- perfect question right after Lisa's uh, because uh, there are a number of exceptions that I just alluded to. So you know, the big ones, the ones that tend to apply you know, to to most people are if you're a manager. Uh, or if you're an IT professional, if you work as in either an ambulance or firefighter setting, uh, if you're a cab driver or if you're an individual who works in agriculture on a farm, then you are actually not subject to the overtime provisions and are not entitled to time and a half. And one thing I will add here, John, is that specifically for managers, oftentimes what I see is companies will just call everybody a manager. You're an account manager, you're a VP of sales, you know, and then they say, oh, you're a manager now, and therefore you don't get overtime. And maybe, you know, at least 80% of the time, that's just a title, and the person really has no managerial authority, has no real managerial power. So you can't just skirt the law and skirt this overtime provision by slapping a title on someone, calling them a manager, and then saying you don't owe it. At the end of the day, it's about the facts on the ground and whether a a court, the ministry, what what have you, will actually determine that this person has real managerial authority and therefore is exempted from overtime. Monique says, Stan, can I ask, can I ask my employer to pay me instead of taking vacation? So you can absolutely ask that question, Monique. Uh, You and your employer can come to any agreement that you guys choose. Technically speaking, the Employment Standards Act does provide employers with the ability to dictate when employees take their vacation. And this is largely done to help the employer plan for, you know, for the loss of uh, any individual person from their workplace to make sure there's someone else to cover. But ultimately, Monique, I mean, it's up to your employer if they want to pay you out. They absolutely can. If they insist, no, you know, we're, you know, we're a warehouse. We shut down two weeks over Christmas. 
that's your vacation, they're allowed to do that. Charlene, final email for the night says, my employer of the last 37 years told me he's retiring and shutting down the business completely at the end of the month. He told me I am not entitled to anything because I'm over the age of 65. Is that true? Uh, not only really not true. I mean, it sounds like a human rights violation based on age discrimination. Yeah. Uh, and what I'll tell you, Charlene, is that I think there's really two uh, two different components that we're talking about here. There's the, the legality and then there's the practicality. You know, from a legal perspective, there's no question. You know, just because somebody's shutting down their business, that doesn't mean they get to just walk away from their bills. Uh, they, if they're shutting down their business, you're a liability and they have to account for all their liabilities. So again, unless a company is going bankrupt, unless that, which literally means that they have more liabilities than they have assets to cover those liabilities, then if they just decide, you know, I'm retiring, I don't want to make money anymore, well, you still have to pay Charlene for uh, severance entitlements. That's the legality of it. Now, in terms of the practicality, you need to act very quickly in a situation like this because the, the hard part becomes if the, if the company shuts down, now you've got to figure out where they are, how to serve them, and how to get the money once they're shut down. Though That becomes infinitely harder once the company no longer has a business that actually operates. So absolutely you're entitled to severance, Charlene, and absolutely should contact us as soon as possible. And that is absolutely it for one night. Uh, back here Wednesday and the weekend shows as well. In the meantime, reaching out a few different ways, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, great website for you to use. You can use that even before you give Stan a call. Lots of information, free and anonymous. Of course, the email address we always pull from is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And phone number, one 821 And uh, we'll catch you on Wednesday night. Don't go anywhere. On Point continues with Alex Pearson next. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio.